Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and my guest today is a a celebrity around AHA way. Um, Nicole Jameson Fritz uh, is our veterinary technician of the year. So our inaugural winner of the vet tech of the year award. And um, from our earlier conversation, I can say that she is extremely deserving and super cool human Mm. who we are lucky to have in the profession. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Katie, for such a nice uh, introduction. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, it's a pleasure to have you. And um, Rockstar Technicians are somebody who I, I wish we heard more of. So that's a personal mission for me and for AHA this year is to make sure that we're hearing from as many uh, Rockstar Technicians as possible. But to start us off, our Rockstar Technician for the day, would you uh, please let us know a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Uh, yeah, so I'm a veterinary technician um, and also have my BTS in emergency and critical care. I started my passion for animals early on. I think a very familiar story with a lot of us as uh, veterinary technicians that, you know, our love for animals started off as in childhood. I grew up on a hobby farm and there I cared for a whole range of animals and different species, you know, from wild birds that had injured wings to, you know, bottle feeding lambs and piglets and things like that. Um, So definitely started out uh, early on. And um, again, with uh, most of us, I feel like it seems that we have this, uh, you know, goal of becoming a veterinarian at some point in our life. Um, But before I committed myself to that uh, length of education and whatnot, I wanted to make sure that that was was the right fit for me, the uh, field of veterinary uh, medicine. So I pursued um, getting my veterinary technician uh, diploma. And um, after that, spent a year in emergency medicine. I was very fortunate to be part of the startup team of an emergency specialty hospital. Um, and uh, from there, uh, I we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. So I've uh, been through wow. all the ups and downs and growth of watching a four doctor practice grow into a, a multi-specialty with over 20 doctors and 150 staff members. Um, so it's been an amazing career growth for me. And um, honestly, haven't looked back at, uh, you know, that initial desire to become a veterinarian. I've, I've uh, been very fortunate that I've been fully satisfied. Um, and, you know, every box that you can imagine ticking as far as career satisfaction has pretty much um, been met. So uh, I'm here to stay and couldn't imagine doing anything else. I love that. And I'm just astonished. Like we're talking so much and we're gonna talk more about this today. But, you know, all the the big topic of discussion right now is, you know, how do we attract more technicians and how do we keep technicians in the field? And you have not only been in the field for 25 years, but, or more, is that? Yeah, just over, yeah, yeah. 26, and, yeah, 27. Um, yeah, and, but you've been at the same hospital. And I think that mm-hmm. is amazing because that means, that says something about your dedication, but it also says that hospital is doing something right because they were able to to keep you happy and challenged and satisfied as you've grown mm-hmm. that that is just, I love stories like that. So um, unusual and very, very cool. Before we start, I want to ask you a very, very important question, because to me, the field of veterinary medicine 
is like a nonstop minefield of ways to completely humiliate ourselves. I am just thinking right now of like 25 in separate incidents where I was completely humiliated in front of clients or in front of coworkers or whatever, because that's just what we do. So yes. I was, I, that's what I wanted to ask you. It's very important is what is one of your most embarrassing vet tech in the field stories? Oh, gosh, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, I was trying to think about that. And and I think there's been so many that I that I've purposely blocked out of my mind, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, kind of, I know. It's just and then you wake of, up in the middle of the night, you're like, Oh, there was that yes, time. <laughs> yes, you know, I think it's just a part of what we do is we have those embarrassing moments where we kind of, you know, wish we hadn't said something to a client or wish we hadn't said something to a coworker. But, yeah. you know, uh, just thinking of a couple of, of examples. Um, you know, I remember once we uh, I was in surgery, there was a pug uh, having an exploratory laparotomy and, and um, we had a visiting veterinarian that was coming to check out our hospital. And uh, while monitoring this patient, under anesthesia, I noticed that he'd become extubated. And I was like mortified because I didn't know this visiting veterinarian. They were in the middle of the surgery, the abdomen was opened up. And so somehow I managed to reintubate this dog while he was on his back without letting the surgeon know, without letting the veterinarian wow. know. Um, but it was fantastic because I mean, I, I was embarrassed in the moment, but also able to avert that full on embarrassment. <laughs> and that visiting veterinarian ended up joining us as a permanent member. And so we kind of often laugh about that story. Remember the time when you were visiting? <laughs> Um, yeah. And then I think I was, you know, one of the, on the opposite end of another, you know, embarrassing moment, but also a very good learning uh, moment was, um, not funny though. I remember, uh, a number of years ago, um, we had a patient, it was in, um, it was a Rottweiler with an osteosarcoma in its foreleg and it was in a lot of pain and the owner had decided he wanted to euthanize and, um, Anyways, he didn't want to be present for the euthanasia. So he left, he signed and left the building, we thought. And uh, the veterinarian and I were performing the euthanasia, you know, giving the dog lots of cuddles and snuggles. Um, and next thing we knew, the owner burst through the front, the door of the exam room and was totally distraught and emotional. And I remember looking at him and saying, I know how you feel. And he looked at me and he's like, you have no idea how I feel. And he was mm -hmm. so angry and I just felt so terrible uh, in that moment and, and embarrassed because I was just like, obviously had said something incorrect. And, um, but I think what I took out of that was I learned, you know, you never, I mean, we can be empathetic in different ways. Um, and I share that story with just about anyone I work with um, so that they can learn from something that I could have, you know, handled a bit differently um, in that situation. So um, yeah, I think there's so many different stories, you know, uh, so tales funny. from the trenches, you know, whether it be hilarious, you know, anal glands or, you know, diarrhea, or, you know, taking the temperature of a dog that was, you know, as I lifted up the tail, I'm like, Ooh, something feels funny under this tail and realizing it was covered in maggots because it had an open pyometra. I like just, you know, we've all had those moments oh. where we <laughs> yeah, yes, laugh and chuckle afterwards. And yeah, I, I, my, I mean, my personal favorite, like routine fluffy cat moment is when you are trying to take the temperature of the cat and you cannot like it's just fluff back there. Oh yes, you know, yes. and it's just like blindly feeling around <laughs> in the dark is what it seems like, and you're like, mm, everyone's watching me, but yeah. that's a you know, usually you can figure it out. It just takes a minute, but there's just so much fluff. But that is a really interesting perspective. What you mentioned is these moments where it's embarrassing in a really like um, kind of heart stopping way, mm. where you're like, oh, I just messed up, and um, 
then you have to recover and not only recover for yourself, but also make sure that you're taking care of the person or the animal um, Mm. that you feel like you messed up for. And that is definitely something that happens a lot in this field. And I think certain people are maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know, laid back about it. Like they can shake things off better and other Mm. people kind of take that to heart and and hold on to it for a long time. And neither one I think is better, but um, but they, either way, you know, it definitely can make an impression. Yeah. Cause I think that we're in the field. Uh, well, and just even as people, I think we're on this earth to constantly learn and grow. And as yes. people in veterinary medicine, you know, we're taught how to take care of animals and, you know, what medications yep. they need and how to place IV catheters. But, you know, those soft skills we learn through experiences and we learn as we grow. So to be able to take those moments as devastating or upsetting or as embarrassing as they may be in that moment to take them and try to look past that. And what can I learn from this so I can be a better person and grow from it? Um, I think it's really important. Well, so that brings me to one question that I was going to ask you, which clearly you are a person who puts a lot of um, a value on that growth and that evolution Mm -hmm. as a professional, as a person. Is that part of what's kept you going all this time as a technician? Absolutely, for sure. I I definitely uh, would agree with that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think I've been very fortunate um, to be in an environment where I'm supported. Uh, My opportunities for growth and development have been endless. I mean, obviously, I know I have to put the legwork in and, and, uh, you know, opportunities don't come without effort and and hard work. Um, But I've also very much appreciated that I'm in an environment that supports that Um, people that see my strengths and are able to direct me in areas that um, are beneficial, obviously, for the hospital, but allow me to grow as well. So I think that's the other thing. We all have different strengths. We all have things that we're good at, some things we're not as strong at. Um, so to be able to be in an environment that supports you for your strengths, I think is is really uh, is great. And I think that's also what's really important. And what's kept me in the field for so long is just to have that, that support and that, that recognition and um, the opportunity to grow and, and be the best person I can be. Now, did you start out having to ask for these things? Or did you have somebody who sort of egged you on to become that type of technician? You know, did you have encouragement right from the beginning? Or did you sort of break the ice? And then it became part of the culture where you are? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, I definitely grew into the role. Uh, when we started, um, as mentioned earlier, we were a very small hospital, there was four specialists, and I think there's about six of us technicians in total. And so we didn't have that kind of leadership stru- structure, we had a practice manager, and that was kind of it. But I think just my personality, I like to listen, and I like to fix things. So I think I just kind of naturally have kind of grown into this role. And I think also, just my belief, again, as I mentioned earlier, that growth mindset, um, because I think, um, you know, often people are put into roles of leadership, because they may be the most senior person there or, um, but I think as a leader, especially, um, again, as I mentioned, I was trained in the area of veterinary medicine and, you know, animal nursing and as a veterinary technician. Um, so I think uh, as a leader, we have to be open to learning and learning how to communicate better. And, um, you know, uh, I think our, the landscape of employment has changed, even especially over the last few years with COVID, it's done different things with um, recruitment and, and what's important to people as employees and values. So being able to be open and receptive to learning and navigating the different landscapes as they change over the years. Um, and again, just that 
that constant searching for ways to be better at what I do, I think has, um, yeah, just allowed me to kind of grow into this role and, and kind of been a natural progression. I love that. Um, and you coming in so early in the growth of the hospital where you are, you know, has mm. seems like it's really allowed you to feel like it's your place too. that you, you know, you're sort of built into the culture there and have a lot of um, personal um, involvement in, in the way the hospital's grown. And I, I mean, I'm that kind of person too. I like to come in and like, I don't like to come into a perfect system and then just have mm. to fit into the system. I like to come in and think like, okay, how can we grow? What can we change? What can we do differently? Who's not being served here? You know, how can we make people happier and, um, and serve people better? And that's exciting to me. And if things start running too smoothly, then I'm going to start getting itchy. You know, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> you seem yeah. like that person too. <laughs> yes. Oh, I think, um, yeah. Yes. No, for sure. Absolutely. Yes. Like, no, exactly. Like I said, I like to fix things. I like to make yeah. things better for people. I like to, you know, and I think, again, we're always learning and always growing. So even mm-hmm. if things feel like it's plateaued and things are good, you know, again, I've been around long enough that you'll just kind of feel that, okay, things are good. And then something else will happen that you're not experienced to dealing with. There'll be a new, crisis or a new, you know, yeah. situation or, or, you know, it's just life, I think. So being able yeah. to be adaptable and, and move with those uh, changing times or changing situations is, is important too. So yeah. but yes, I agree with you. I think that, uh, yeah, I like to constantly be doing things. I, I couldn't be in a, a situation where I know what I'm doing from moment to moment. I go in, this is my <laughs> schedule. And I know for some people, they need that and they want that. And that's great for them to be able to recognize that. And to be in that situation. But for me, it's like, bring it on, like, whatever you got for me, I I'm up with open for it, you know, love that. Good and, reason. <laughs> I mean, and you're a you're a veterinary technician specialist in emergency and critical care. And that I mean, if there's ever a person who needs to be adaptable and think quickly on their feet and take pride mm-hmm. in being able to work without knowing what's coming around the corner any yeah. given second, it's a VTS and ECC. So <laughs> um, so that I'm sure has served you well. But I was I am very curious about your journey to your VTS um, through mm. being a credential technician, because, you know, so many people think, oh, I want to be a veterinarian. I'm just going to go volunteer at an animal hospital or I'm going to be an assistant for a while and just see what it's like. And you said, oh, I'm going to go get my technology degree. You know, I'm going to be an RVT and start there. And I was wondering why that is. Like, is that a route that was shown to you by someone or are you a person who likes to sort of say, well, I'm going to do this, hit this goal first and then maybe think about the next goal? Yeah, uh, good question. I mean, part of it was, um, you know, I, I, I'm a small town girl. I grew up in a very mm. small community on, on uh, our Vancouver Island close to here. And uh, and then I went my first year of university was over in the city. And so it was just a lot of adjustments and whatnot. And and um I've always been a strong student in school, but it kind of, I didn't do the best that year in particular, just a lot of adjustments moving to the big city and whatnot. So it just made me think, okay, well, what do I want to do? And someone had mentioned, mentioned this program. So initially it wasn't something on my radar, but just again, thinking about, well, do I really want another eight, nine, 10 years of school? Let's just make sure again, this is what I really want to do. So it was kind of a, just happened, this opportunity presented itself, someone told me about the program. Um, and so I thought, okay, let's, it's only two years, let's, let's try it out and see where that leads me. So um, yeah, so that's kind of how I started uh, in that regards. And then, um, and then 
From there, I ended up getting a job in the big city uh, in a local emergency practice. And that certainly sparked my interest in emergency medicine. Um, and then, as mentioned earlier, um, there was some associates of that emergency practice that ended up opening the specialty practice and invited me to, to go along. And right from the get-go, I was always very supported in my career and uh, shown that kind of commitment and dedication and investment in me as, as a person. Um, and so I was really fortunate. And actually, the veterinarian that nominated me for this award um, has always, I mean, I still work with her at 26 years later. Um, and, oh, I love uh, that so much. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so she's always been very supportive. So way back when, when I was still a baby tech, she's like, you know what, I think you should apply for this. And I was like, I'm nowhere near ready. Like, I don't have enough experience. She's like, no, you do. And if you don't pass, if they don't accept your application, what's the harm, right? you know, do it again next year. And so it was just that kind of encouraging, positive, just very encouraging and supportive uh, personality that just like, okay, well, what do I have to lose, right? Like, I'm not going to get in trouble if I don't pass, they're not going to look down upon me if I don't pass. And um, so that was kind of a lot of the motivation and obviously my love for it. I mean, I love emergency and critical care medicine. I think that, I mean, that has to be the forefront of the reason that you pursue a specialty for sure is because uh, um, it is a lot of work. Uh, I won't lie. Um, but if you love what you do and you're passionate, then I think um, it just changes how you approach it and it makes it a very fulfilling um, process to go through. So, yeah. So, again, it's just, yeah, I would just happen to be in a environment that really encouraged me to, again, to do what I could and um, saw potential in me that I maybe didn't see at that time. I was just about to ask you before you said that, you know, there are people who just know that they have a certain amount of potential or that they are very high achievers from the beginning. And they're like, I want to get the highest level of specialization that I can, you know, going right from the beginning, they say that. And then uh, many, many people, most of us are not like that. And <laughs> do you think that you would have ended up going for that advanced degree if you had not had so much encouragement from the people that you work with? I think I probably would have eventually, but definitely not so quickly on. Um, yeah. I think I was really fortunate. Um, when I took the tech, the tech program um, in during schooling, um, I was actually told that the average career span was two to three years for a technician before they wow. moved on to something different. So I think I went into that profession with the mindset, well, this is just kind of a stepping stone. Um, but because of the opportunities that I was provided so early on and, um, you know, my eyes and my world was completely opened by the environment that I ended up being in, um, it definitely shifted my mindset and my, I guess, my goal setting, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And um, I know how that feels from, uh, you know, I, I was a veterinary assistant for a while. I've never mm. been a, te a credential technician and I've never, you know... I haven't done a whole lot of other jobs, but I do feel like when I was working in vet clinics as an assistant on my way to becoming a veterinarian, people were more encouraging of me because they knew I was going to go to vet school or I was mm. already in vet school. And looking back on that now, like that kind of sucks, you know, like what about all of the people that I worked with who are not going to be vets, you yeah. know, where was their one-on-one -on -one with the doctor, where was there, um, you know, the all the credit given for the work that they were doing and the, you know, wanting to send them to conferences and stuff like that. Like, where mm -hmm. was that? And um, I think we're answering 
the question ourselves right now, which I was about to ask next, which is, what do you think is the key or what are the big keys to attracting and keeping technicians and assistants in the field? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think um, one of the privileges of being in the profession for so long is, is getting to see um, the changing opportunities for technicians and assistants. Uh, as mentioned, you know, when I, you know, the average career span being two to three years, you know, 26, 27 years ago. Um, and now just seeing the immense amount of opportunities uh, for technicians. And, and that's obviously the area that I'm most familiar with. I think it's starting to change for assistants, but, um, but so I'm going to focus on the technicians, but I think it's, it's really amazing to see the varying opportunities that have come about, you know, since I've been in the profession, you know, whether it be a VTS, whether it be management or leadership, or, you know, I see these amazing technicians that are on speaking circuits and things like that, inspiring mm -hmm. other people to do amazing things. So, um, you know, I think, uh, for me, that's a huge component to the longevity of our profession is just having those abilities to grow and also pivot and change. You know, I mean, I may be in general practice for 10 or 15 years and want to try out a different avenue of medicine or, um, you know, do something completely dear, different and be a rep for a company or there's just so many different avenues that we can take now that we weren't able to take, you know, 10, 15 years ago um, and still be proud RVTs. So I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's a lot of it. Um, I think, um, you know, finding your passion, you know, making sure you don't settle for things like I think, again, um, you know, sometimes we get burnt out or jaded by the profession and, and just think that, you know, this is not where I want to be. But there's just there's so many opportunities, there's so many amazing people out there. And if one opportunity doesn't fit for you or a second or third, even like, don't give up on it. You know, there's still so many different uh, avenues pursue, pursue and some of it may require relocation, which may or may not be an option. But um, again, I think, I think that's part of it. I think it's making sure that you're, you know, working for a facility that encourages you and supports you um, and, um, and encourage that collaboration. I think that's again, where I've been that my hospital is part of me and it will forever be like, I grew up there and I feel very invested in it. But a lot of that is because I've also always been able to collaborate. Like I've always felt like I had a voice and I felt like I'm an important part of the team. And I think that's really important as well too, for um, longevity is just feeling like you're part of something bigger and, you know, better than just what you're doing. It's not just a job, you know? So I think that's part of it and making sure that we take care of ourselves as well. I mean, we all hear about burnout and, compassion fatigue and it's a reality um you know uh so learning how to take care of ourselves um learning the the tools to be resilient because i think that's another thing as well too resiliency is something that you you develop over time with experience and yeah. and it's so important um and i think that uh you know i'm just learning a little bit more trying to figure out how can i help people in, in teaching them that skill set but because I, I think it's so important you know, not only with the work that we do, but just in life in general, too, as, as I get yeah. older and, and uh, you know, dealt all the different things that I'm dealt with, you know, with family life and, and work life and personal life. And, uh, you know, um, I think those skill sets are, are really important, you know, to, yeah, make us be able to survive the career that we've chosen um, and be able to remain in it. It was actually kind of funny. Um, I've got some different family, personal things juggling around right now. And I had recently um, started seeing a counselor again, which I'm totally full heartedly supportive. You know, I think that Same. there's, we all have moments in our lives where it's just nice to have that outside person that we can yeah. openly share. And I think that's part of that self care component and, and not feel bad about or not feel judged about. And, um, 
anyway, so she was listening to all the things that I'm taking care of as a mom, as an employee, as a wife, as everything. And she's like, well, God, that's a lot. Like, how do you manage all of that? And she's like, well, I, I don't know. I, I just triage, you know, like I have to, you know, I, I took at the things that I need to do right now and what are things that I can just leave for later. I, I have lists and she's just like, wow, I've, I've never had anyone explain it to me like that. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's interesting. You know, like I, my life at the hospital is also actually trained me for life outside of the hospital too. So it's just kind of, yeah, neat connection. So yeah, that's I, fantastic. I, I, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I got a little off topic, but I think it's, no, you know, I, it's all part of those skills that you learn to remain in the profession, that, that resiliency and ability to cope with things. You're so right. And I think we really do undervalue those skills when we're talking about ourselves as veterinary professionals, you know, whether we're veterinarians or technicians or CSRs or whoever in the vet hospital, we have a very unique skill set and a very broad knowledge base in this area that most people have never set foot in. Mm -hmm. And those things intersect together in a way that makes us valuable, even if we decide that that environment isn't the environment for us or that we want to try a different branch of the profession. You know, like right now I'm not in the clinic, but I've never loved being a veterinarian more because I feel like all of the experience that has built up behind me and the, the different feelings and, you know, and situations that we find ourselves in, in the hospital definitely translate into um, something that, can bring a lot of value to uh, an organization or a company or an indus the industry in general. And it's really fun to look at those puzzle pieces and just like rearrange them and mm -hmm. see how they're going to fit together at your next job or mm -hmm. in the next thing that you try to do. Um, and I, I love the way you describe that, that you, you triage your life. Like, you, like you're used to triaging the ER. I mean, I'm going to think about that now. It's like you see your life as a big whiteboard and what's, what's going to get crossed off first, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't really actually thought I, I hadn't actually acknowledged that that's the way I think about yeah. things until we were in the session. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. I, I feel like that's a lecture. I feel like if you ever want to speak, you know, at a conference, like that's, that's your first talk right there. <laughs> um, so, okay. So as a veterinarian, I know that I have ticked off a lot of technicians that I've worked with in my life. And part of it is because I wasn't always happy in the hospitals. Mm. Um, I, you know, I was burned out for a long time. I'm not a person who thrives on unpredictability in, in my day to day. Mm. Um, and so I just, you know, I never, um, I, I was anxious a lot in practice and I identify a lot with people who say that that affects them too. Mm -hmm. I would have been terrible at emergency and clinical care, like the worst. Um, and, but I'm just wondering, like thinking back to all of those interactions and all of the technicians who were probably like, oh my God, there she goes again. What is something that you wish veterinarians did differently when it comes to working with technicians? Um, well, I, when I say, uh, well, I guess what I'm going to say wouldn't pertain to all veterinarians, because I think there's a lot of amazing veterinarians out there. But I think in general, um, when I think of the veterinarians that I've, I mean, that we I've all have room for growth. growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I, you know, but I think the ones that I've responded to the most, uh, you know, as simple as pleases and thank yous, you know, like, I think, you know, um, you know, 
you know, being acknowledged for helping out in those situations. So just as basic as pleases and thank yous, um, you know, encouraging the team to, you know, live to their full potential. So I think, again, sometimes, you know, it's definitely changed. Uh, again, I remember when I first uh, started out in the profession, you heard of a lot of veterinary technicians that were kind of glorified kennel staff, you know, they were not doing blood draws because the veterinarian was always doing that. They weren't, you know, in doing anesthesia inductions because yeah. they were holding for the veterinarian to do that. So that's definitely changed. The, um, but I think, yeah, you know, having them, you know, know what the technicians are capable of and encouraging them to do that and, and live to their potential as a technician is, is really important. And, and just realizing too, that we're all part of a team, like you, you can be the most amazing veterinarian out there, but you're only as successful as your team. Um, yes. You know, I think back to, you know, and, yeah, well, and, and it's the same thing with us, right? Like, obviously, there, we couldn't do what we could do without having a veterinarian, you know, making the prescriptions and uh, our, you know, diagnosis and things like that. But, um, you know, I think back to even, you know, years ago in school, uh, being taught how important the clip was for surgeries and how the client, that's how they're going to evaluate how well that surgery is done by how well the clip job is. It has nothing to do with, you know, yeah, with what's done on the true. inside. And so that's always kind of resonated with me, right? Like in communication as well, too. Like you can have an amazing surgeon, but if the team, you know, aren't doing a good job at discharging the client and explaining those instructions, then, then, you know, uh, you know, it's the image that's going away with that client isn't the one of this amazing procedure that's just been completed. So I think it's just, yeah, you know, making sure that we all recognize that we have an equal, you know, different contributions, but we're all important part of the team. And because I think, yeah, sometimes we, it's easy to get, uh, you know, tunnel vision and just mm -hmm. kind of focus on what we're all doing um, and, and kind of working in these little silos. But uh you know, it's just yeah, important to recognize that we can all be supportive of each other. And it's, it's such a rewarding uh, vision, I think, to realize how important we all are together yeah. and with, for each other and with each other. Here at AHA, we're proud of our guidelines, but we know what it's really like to be in practice. We know, for example, that maybe you read the guidelines, but your colleague doesn't, or you read the guidelines, but the doctor you're working with doesn't. Or you might want to present what you learned in the guidelines at a team meeting, but team meetings, am I right? Well, our free implementation toolkits are designed to give your team the tools they need to adapt the guidelines to your unique practice. Check out our tips for technicians and CSRs, handy charts and infographics, and downloadable pet owner pages. You'll also find links to podcast episodes, a quiz, and other related resources that can help your team do what only they can do. Bring the AHA guidelines to life in your practice. To download our free pain management toolkit supported by Zoetis, go to aha.org pain management and click toolkit and be on the lookout for canine vaccination, working dog and senior care toolkits coming very soon. Well, this as AHA is saying this year is calling 2023 the year of the team. And uh, that that's a pretty good mic drop right there. <laughs> um, I think the clip, the clip job is definitely something I don't even think about. You know, I think about the closure of the, mm. you know, the spay closure yeah. or whatever. It's like so inconsequential, right? Because they all heal so well. And then, you know, the client sees that and like, oh, my God, what did you do to my dog? And I remember <laughs> this one time, I just have to tell the story now because yeah. it just popped into my head. This one time I had a, I think it was a Cavalier uh, puppy, you know, cutest thing ever, skin cool. like paper on her belly, yep. you know, she's mm. so delicate. And I closed her up, her spay went great, you know, and um, she's a little pink there, you know, a little puffy. 
Um, and then I left because for the day because she was getting picked up late. And my coworker called me and she's like, I just had to spend 30 minutes in the room with that woman because she thought that you sutured the dog's intestine into the closure. Oh. And I, I guess because it was pink. <laughs> And a little puffy. And I just, I was like, oh my gosh, like I must have been absent the day they taught us not to do that at vet school, you know? Like I don't know what she thought was going to happen, but, um, but stuff like that, like doesn't even occur to me. And then to the client, that's the only measure they have to see whether we did a good job. And um, I never even thought about the clip job. So yeah, yeah just uh, well, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then I'll take it even one step forward. Like good for that uh, staff member that you had that took that time with that client to explain that was it, a, right? So it was another associate because she wouldn't <laughs> okay, believe sorry. the technician. Uh, she was like, I need to talk to a doctor. And so my poor coworker had to go in there and be like, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, the technician I'm sure would have spent that time with her if she'd wanted to hear it from her, but she did yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> then enough. she, yes. that's actually one of the few times a client has apologized for kind of making a scene because the, of course it did heal fine. Cause it was, you know, it's puppy yeah. healed great. And she came in, she's like, you're right. I can't even see it. I was like, I <laughs> who would have, who would have thought? Yeah, no doubt. Anyway. <laughs> but yes. uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a flashback. I hadn't thought of for a while. <laughs> that time I sutured the intestines into the <laughs> spay closure. Yeah. Um, I know I've often thought I wish I'd kept a journal of all the stories, wild, bizarre yeah. <laughs> things that have occurred, you know, things like that. Yeah, uh, it'd be I, a very interesting book, I think. Uh, yeah. And I feel for that woman now because you know that she went home and Googled like what happens if your vet closes your puppy's intestine in her spay closure. Oh my gosh, you know? yeah. Because <laughs> why would she believe us? Like, of course we were going to say it was fine. Yeah. Um, and as a client now, on the other side, I completely sympathize, you know, I... My cat had 16 extractions recently, and it was very stressful for me. They took wonderful care of him. But, oh. like, not being back there with my hands on him is very stressful. So um, kudos to that woman for not totally losing her mind and yeah. for coming in and realizing it was okay later. Um, <laughs> okay. So you're of the team. Last question for you, because um, I know that, you know, we have a lot of discussion over, like, veterinary technician week, you know, and people kind of expect like free lunches. And but we also talk about how pizza doesn't solve all the problems when you're having mm -hmm. a tough day, or if the culture isn't conducive to wellness. So what are some of the ways that you've found either as a as a technician or as a manager now, um, that veterinary practices can recognize and appreciate their teams that make a difference, you know? Yeah, I think, I think for me, uh, probably the most important thing is to ask your team. Like, I think that, you know, I, there's so many memes going around about, answer. you know, in healthcare about pizza, you know, lunches and, you yep. know, the joke of that, you know, and, and we do a lot of pizza lunches at our hospitals. So yeah, it's I mean, pizza and, right? Like, yeah. Pizza is good. No one's <laughs> yeah. saying you can't have pizza in the break room. No, because there's sometimes it's the, the most amazing pizza <laughs> in the world because you yeah. haven't had lunch, you know, hadn't eaten anything all day. So, yeah. um, so I don't want to devalue that. But I think, um, one thing I've learned is everyone has, um, different things mean different things to different people. And so I think yeah. that's part of it is, you know, so kind of engaging the team and asking them, like, how, how does appreciation to you, uh, feel? Um, and again, you know, kind of what I mentioned earlier, you know, it's just, you know, the pleases and thank yous, I think go a long way. Um, I think, you know, in our busy world, like we're all guilty of that. You're just like, go, 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 go. Right. And especially, you know, since COVID, we're all busier than ever and, uh, overwhelmed with everything that we're doing. And so I think, um, 
you know, it's very simple, but it, it really seems to go a long way with anyone that I've ever spoken to there. Um, it really means a lot. Um, and then I think just engaging the team and investing in the team, you know, whether it be continuing education, like investing in their future, showing that you believe in them and encouraging them, um, you know, says a lot about, you know, your, your sense of importance of, of the team. Um, and then I think, you know, obviously, you know, the right tools to the job are really important as well, too. Um, you know, because again, I feel like, you know, if I have the right things to do my job properly, then you value me, like you value what I do. Um, because you're investing in me personally, or you're investing in the things that I need to do to, to make, my job go smoother and easier. Um, so to me, those are things that I take as things that show that um, I'm cared for and that I'm appreciated. But, but again, I think for everyone, that's a little bit differently. Like for me, it's always been CE. Like I, that's, you know, you're investing in me, you're sending me to conference, you're paying for my different CE memberships. Those are, you know, values to me. Um, and get me really excited. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And make me really excited. And, um, and I used to say that a lot to our management team, upper management team, like, oh, yeah, no, people need to learn and they want to, you know, grow. But then over time, I realized that that's not necessarily the same doesn't hold the same weight or the same value for for every individual. So yeah, so I think yeah, if you know, the best thing is just to talk to people and, and figure it out. But yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, again, not to devalue the pizza lunches are always so great or donuts, you know, the time the hospitals brought in, you know, donuts and cookies, those are always amazing, too. Yes, yeah, the the emergence of crumble, I don't know if you have crumble in Canada, but crumble Ooh. is like, it's the it's a cookie chain. And sells no. these like ginormous cookies. Like you can eat a quarter of a oh. cookie, and it's, like, it's a lot of cookie. Yeah. And um, yeah, the the emergence of crumble has totally changed the metaphor now mm-hmm. because it's not always pizza. Now it's it's also crumble. It's just really good. Next time <laughs> oh. in the U.S., yeah, I'll try it. <laughs> I will have to look it up. Yeah, I'm sure, sure they're planning to take over Canada soon. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I think but, they'd be successful here. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they told me. Yeah. Um. Well, they have their own app. You know, you can get it delivered. Um, oh, okay. Gift cards that way. Oh, yeah. It's genius. I wish I'd thought of it. Anyway. <laughs> um, it. Well, Nicole, I can see why you were nominated and won um, the 2022 Vet Tech of the Year Award, because I really do feel like you, you know, uh, we were talking about love languages and ways people like to be appreciated. And like, you don't strike me as somebody who wants your face on a poster as the vet tech of the year, you want to be vet tech of the year quietly because you know that it means that the right things are being recognized. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, that just speaks volumes about who you are and about what the profession needs as our technicians roles change, evolve, grow. Um, We start to realize that a lot of technicians are not getting what they need at work and we have to figure out a way to give it to them because without the technicians, like you said, we can't have a team and, um, and we really, we need to figure this out because I really do believe that the technicians are, are the solution um, to a lot of the, the crises that we're having in vet med now. And mm. we need to, we need to turn our gaze that way collectively and who better to ask, like you said, sometimes you just got to ask mm. um, than the technicians. So thank you for being such a wonderful spokesperson. Oh, well, thank profession. you. Well, I just, I mean, I'm generally passionate for what I do. Um, I love to share my experiences. I love to encourage and support uh, even new people to the profession. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Like it gets, it makes me feel good because that's generally 
who I am. Like I'm, yeah, exactly. Like you said, like, it's kind of embarrassing a little bit, you know, this whole process. <laughs> you don't want us to make a bobblehead <laughs> of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but if I can inspire or encourage then, uh, you know, or share my experiences, then um, that makes me really excited and, and really proud of what I do and what I get to do. Um, Cause again, I just, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I, I truly passionately love every aspect of, of what I get to do. So feel very fortunate and very lucky. Well, we are lucky too to have you in the profession and to be a leader. So thank you. Um, Nicole Jameson Fritz, congratulations on your award that you didn't ask for, but definitely <laughs> deserve. And um, <laughs> thank you for your time um, hanging out with me and chatting about this. I am, um, I'm really optimistic about the future with people like you leading it. So thank, thank you. you, Katie. Um, and also, as a disclaimer, there are no animals visible in this podcast episode. My little guy isn't here. Nicole's dog isn't here. And um, so I just have to say that no animals were harmed in the making of this episode, but some of them might have drugs. Yeah. Good old trazodone. <laughs> yeah. Better living through chemistry and better yep. podcasting, too. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.